Ohio State rolls over the Boilermakers, maybe turning some heads in the process, but does it really matter coming into two teams from that state up north and back-to-back weeks to finish the Big Ten season? We'll talk about that and why one former Buckeye says he got disowned <laughs> by fans of the local team. All that and more in this episode of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance joining you along with my friend and co-host Johnny Ray Genter. We're continuing our world tour, or tour of Central Ohio Buffalo Wild Wings thanks to the official sports bar of 11 Warriors. Johnny, let's get right off the bat with uh, the, the news of the week being that Ohio State remains undefeated in conference play, rolling over the Purdue Boilermakers. I, I think a lot of us going into the Purdue game expected maybe more of a dogfight than what we saw out of uh, Purdue. Were, were you surprised, as, as I was, that Ohio State just was all gas, no brakes against a team that had upset a number of top five teams already this season? Well, that's the thing, right? Because we were all afraid that there was going to be some, you know, some weird voodoo surrounding this game, given Ohio State's history with Purdue and some of the things that we might be worried about. But uh, no, they came out guns ablaze, and that game was over by halftime. And look, I think some people might wring their hands a little bit about the passing yards given up in the second half. That's understandable. I get that. But honestly, you go out and you take it to Purdue the way Ohio State did. I think that's really proof positive that the team's got their head on straight. They're ready for this next two-game stretch, which is obviously the most critical part of the season so far. Um, yeah, I... I don't think I was shocked because I knew that Ohio State had certain advantages, particularly in the passing game, that just Purdue could not overcome. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised that they were that dominant that early. I thought it might have taken a little bit for them to warm up, and that was not the case. And, and they didn't. I mean, really, from the opening drive, both uh, offensive and defensive opening drives were fantastic, and the offense uh, didn't slow down at all in the first half. I have to admit, my pregame prediction, my official Score prediction from the game was 45-17. That was the score at the end of the first half. Yeah. So I missed it by just Yeah, just slightly. Much. Just a little bit off. And, and you mentioned that some people might be wringing their hands about the defense. This was my comment about that after the game when I wrote this week's debriefing. How many teams out there in the football bowl subdivision can dig themselves out of a 45-17 to 17 hole at the half? Mm. There aren't that many. <laughs> Let me think. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a pretty right. short list, right? So, uh-huh. yeah, I didn't love seeing the defense give up two touchdowns after the half. It also wasn't relevant in any plane of reality. No, it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. And, look, if you're an Ohio State fan, I think it's really important to understand that, like, it's it's hard not to look ahead. I, I know people and coaches and, and, you know, athletes are always like, no, 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 we're always focused on the team. You're, it's impossible not to be at least a little bit anxious or excited about playing Michigan State and then Michigan back-to-back weeks, you're going to look ahead a little bit. You know that you're a better team than Purdue. Yes, there's going to be some of that, you know, crazy mojo in the background. But I I think they did a really great job with what they had. Um, passing game, again, totally on point, right? Like, yeah. what, you can't, literally nothing to complain about. Um, and, you know, and to the point that C.J. Stroud is literally the Heisman favorite now. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't know that anybody had that on the draft. No, I, I don't. I think if at the beginning of the season you put down some money on that, you'd be you'd be sitting pretty right now. I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't. You know, every, right. every year you just think, oh, I should put some money down on Ohio put State. Put fifty bucks on the Ohio State quarterback, and eventually it's going to pay off pretty handsomely. Um, so passing game obviously looked great. Running game, I think you you saw a little more juice out of Henderson, which is what people wanted. Um, 
there's nothing to complain about the offense, really. I, I think they did a really great job overall. Henderson, 98 yards. Would have liked to have seen him get to the 100. I thought they were going to punch it in at the end, and then they what? took the knee. Okay, why do coaches do this? <laughs> I, oh, man. This, I understand they're not. Okay, actually, let me ask you this. Yeah. Because I want to know if I'm a crazy person or not. I think that coaches absolutely know what those numbers are as the game's going on. I'm sure there's somebody in their ear. Because we get, if you're sitting in the press booth, your your press box, you're getting quarterly reports on what's sure. happening. Right. You have a stat cast that is telling you in live terms what's happening. There's no way they don't know. So my thing is, is that I'm like, I got to feel that maybe some of these coaches are like, oh, that maybe that's motivation for next week. Which as a <laughs> fan is complete BS. Like, I want to see... Dwayne Haskins throw for 500 yards right. in, a, in a game where he was two yards away. I want to see Justin Fields be able to hit that. I just, I don't understand why coaches don't make more of an effort to hit some of those milestones when it's sitting right there in front of them. Yeah, I honestly think they don't care. You don't think so? And yeah, because what else? I mean, there's other I care, than, I care Andy. Your, your it answer, should matter because it matters to me. Your that's answer why. about the motivation <laughs> factor. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of that even right. makes it make sense because otherwise... You know, you're two yards out. Now, give him two yards. In that in that specific, I mean, and he was about two yards away from the end zone when yes. they on it there at the end of the game, right? Right. I mean, that was an easy, that was an easy touchdown. That was a walk-in. Yeah, and, let's do it. Who cares? Uh, uh, fine. Okay, you didn't want to put another seven on Purdue after you'd already put 59 No, do him. it. You know, look, pretend you're in the Big 12 and you need style points, right? Like, you're, <laughs> you're going on point differential. And <laughs> that was my favorite part of the whole weekend. <laughs> you know, Ohio State beating Purdue. Was cool and all. Oh, yeah, that was fun. But seeing Baylor kick the, the field goal. Yeah. And it was hilarious because Gus Johnson and, and Joel Clatter on that call, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're talking about Woody Hayes and the famous, because <laughs> I couldn't right. go for three quotes, right. <laughs> while while Lincoln Riley is over there screaming oh, at the God. officials about the, the fans storming the field with a second left on the clock. And he's losing his mind. I'm like, dude, you're down by multiple scores. This game is over. Yeah. And he's yeah. losing his mind. It's like fine. They need to give Baylor us time. We'll kick a field goal. Out and kicks the field goal. I'm like, yeah. oh man, grind the salt yeah. into the wound. I loved it. And then they come out with the story about like, oh, it does actually matter in the Big Twelve tiebreaker, which I don't, is hilarious. Which is true, but I also don't think that's a see. Was on I their said mind something was hilarious. Normally, you get see there the grief okay. about that, but that was really hilarious because back, it was back to the rushing game. So eight and a half yards per carry. Uh, Mayan Williams, you know, chop carrying the rock, looking like, hey, I got this. And, you know, there's a dude – I think the thing that I love about this running back core, this, the receivers get all of the love, rightly so. But this is a pretty good group of running backs, too, even when you get past Henderson and the obvious star power there. Yeah. Here's what I would say about that, though. And this is this is one of the things I think bothers me a little bit. It's not entirely the fault of the coaching staff or even the running backs. It's just you're dealing with injuries, guys getting nicked up and stuff. But, like – you need consistent carries as a running back. You have to be able to understand what you're going to get in a certain week so you can prepare your body, so you can kind of get in the flow of the offense. I, Henderson, I think, does a great job with the kind of inconsistency, right, that he's kind of been shown when it comes to his role in the offense. But especially if you're a backup, you know, I love watching Chop come in and get yards. That's great. Yeah. I, I think if I'm him or Tig or whoever, you gotta, you got to want to know what you're going to get. Right. And I think as a running back, that's really, really important. So while I do think it's awesome to watch them get those yards, mm-hmm. I think it could be a lot more consistent if there was maybe a more clear hierarchy and then maybe more of an attempt to get those guys a certain amount of carries. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about that is you've got Henderson in here as a true freshman. So if you're Ryan Day, you're looking and saying, hey, you know what? I want two more years of this magic. 
So I'm not going to oh, run sure. 35 times a game right now. Fastest running back, fastest freshman running back in history to 1,000 yards. He cracked the 1,000 mark uh, versus Purdue. 14 touchdowns on just 141 carries. And, oh, by the way, 16 catches for 223 yards and three touchdowns on the season. Not bad. Anderson saw his name added to the uh, semifinalist list for the Doak Award, um, for the Doak Walker Award for, of course, the nation's best running back. And I, I think he's got a legitimate shot. Now, that said, the running back that's going to be across the field from him this weekend has got, uh, you know, inside track on that. Yeah, that and, and justifiably so because Kenneth Walker is the third. I mean, the dude is it's a dude. Fantastic. <laughs> Henderson currently tied for second nationally in yards per carry at 7.3, tied for fourth nationally in touchdown scored, ranked 14th in total yards from scrimmage, 17th in total rushing yards. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. And we'll talk more about Walker the third letter later in the program when we warm up the, the pipes for the Michigan State game. Other things to come out of the Purdue game that I, I thought were great, you know, we see Jackson Smith and Jigbo a week ago, two two weeks ago now, just light the world on fire. Yeah. You know, practically rewriting the record book for uh, receiving yards in a game and catches in a game, you, you second on the one and new record on the other. And then Garrett Wilson comes back and says, hey, guys, did you miss me? Right. And just goes all world. Like, like he wasn't even gone or injured or anything like that. He was just, okay, well, I took a week off, now I'm fine. And that's the thing. When you've got that much talent, they can, they can plug and play in a way that maybe the running backs can't. And um, it was really, really cool to watch. I, the thing is that I, I am surprised at how good of a rapport – uh, JSN and CJ Stroud have had basically from day one. Yeah. Um, that was something that surprised me. I, I thought they, he would have to lean a lot more on Olave and Wilson simply because they're the guys with the more experience, um, you know, more snaps, all that stuff. But JSN comes in and just they've got an instant connection, and that's fine. I think some people might look at that and go, okay, why isn't Olave getting more, you know, catches or more looks? It doesn't matter. I mean, these guys, both of these guys, Wilson and Olave, are going to go really high in the NFL draft. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to look at their stats this year with Olave and go, like, like I regressed. No. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you want to do that. A guy like Stroud with limited experience can really, really rely on. And that's what he gets. That's what he's gotten with JSN. And he's done that in multiple weeks back to back. Now and it's, it's really fun to watch. I mean, the guy just can every, every route tree, every pass, anything you want him to do, he can do. And, and that's what I think makes this passing attack so difficult to defend because you have guys that really can fill pretty much any role, right? They can line up anywhere and be effective. You know, that, that brings up a thing that happened this week that kind of had me scratching my head a bit. Um, Ohio State offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, a finalist for the Broyles Award oh, for yeah. the nation's best assistant coach. Right. And he's great. However, comma, there were two other guys on the team I thought might get the nod before him. Brian Hartline, number one. Yeah. Is there any question <laughs> he's got the most effective unit in the country? Is there, is there a unit operating at a higher level well, and the other than thing, the wide receiving room at Ohio State? No, and, and the thing is, too, is that, like, he's not – okay, he didn't bring in – yes, you've got all these great uh, recruits and things like that, but he didn't bring in guys in this particular room, right, who are producing, who are like the best of the best of the best. Yeah, obviously Wilson, Jason, you know, really high regard. Lobby's what, like a three-star, right? Coming out of high school, three-star, four-star, something like that. He wasn't as highly regarded as you, and he's, he's considered to be one of the most talented guys in America. My point is, is that Heartline is really doing an excellent job of developing these guys. You can bring in somebody with a lot of talent, 
really highly rated, and then they could be a bust because they just aren't coached up well. They aren't coached well. You're not seeing that happen at Ohio State in the wide receiver room. They are fulfilling their potential almost immediately. To the point that the number four wide receiver at Ohio State <laughs> felt the need to move to the south yeah, and is now the top receiver for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah. Let's spend some time talking about Jameson Williams, who I think <clears throat> a lot of people, uh, and this is my impression, that Ohio State fans were treating him kind of like Joe Burrow 2.0, that, hey, you know what, really happy for J-Mo, rooting him on, hope he does really well until he faces Ohio State in a hypothetical playoff game. And yet this weekend, this past week, Williams came out uh, on one of his social media feeds and said Ohio State fans disowned him. He said, they don't claim me, I don't claim them, and was pretty clear that he's all Alabama and his time in Columbus is firmly in the rear view. Why do you think he said that? Where, Where do you think that comes from? You know, I had somebody on Twitter, um, I think a loyal listener of the program, hit me up and said, you know, this is one of those Tom Brady, uh, you know, psyching yourself out by saying there's still all these doubters out here where right. you're the clear greatest of all time to do it. This is one of those made-up self-motivation tactics. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> they all said I'd fail, that's a, even though I was the most highly rated recruit of my class. That uh, That's as good an answer as any to me. I, yeah. I haven't heard anyone. You know, he in, in his video on Instagram Live, um, you know, he, he talked like, he didn't say anything specific, but he talked like fans had been kind of down on him. I mean, when he used the phrase, they disowned me. Yeah. And I have not seen that at all from Ohio no. State fans before the story broke. Had you? I mean, no. have you seen any heck out there? I'm, to I'm sure, I'm sure there, I'm sure there's some like Twitter and Instagram douchebags who were saying like crap. Not that stuff. many that I've seen. I don't think so either. And I agree with you. It's probably along the lines of like, hey man, I'm, I'm up here. It's the end of the season. I'm going to like show that I'm, I'm the best here. I need this as motivation. I need this as fuel, which is fine. But I think for once, Ohio State fans had a pretty level-headed response to him leaving. Yeah. And it's completely understandable, right? He, and he's doing a great job at Alabama. It's been fantastic. He's, he made the correct decision for himself. I don't think anybody can begrudge him that. So, um, you know, I'm not, like, upset that he's saying that. I just think it's a little befuddling. Uh but we'll see if he gets a chance to kind of take revenge on the horrible fans of Ohio State at some yeah, point in the I, playoffs. I just did not get it at all that uh, he felt compelled to. And it was sort of like unsolicited feedback. I mean, it's Instagram yeah. Live, I guess, so you can talk about whatever you want. Uh, as you noted, he's gone out there to be one of the best in the country. He is a Bulletnikov Award semifinalist, as is Chris Olave. Now, yes. let's talk about the Bolitnikoff for a minute. Nation's best Or any receiver. award, honestly. Well, well, this one, to me, is very interesting because, you know, the Bolitnikoff recognizes the top receiver, wide receiver in the country. Sure. I'm not sure that I think Chris Olave is the top wide receiver on his own team. No. And that's no shade to him. No. He's a clear first-round draft pick. Right. Why weren't all three wide receivers? Because that's my point. On that's, that what list. that's what I'm saying about any of these awards. There, there are players who are recognized for their excellence because of what they do during the season. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but there is so much confirmation bias that goes in with these awards. Because we, when when do those watch lists come out? July, yeah. June. Oh yeah. So they're way too early preseason rankings. Yeah. So there is there's a number of incredibly 
dedicated stands for some of these players who are like, okay, as long as they just don't like die on the field or like trip over their own feet every down, yeah. then we're putting them as a semifinalist and we might give them an award just out of spite. I again, Chris Olave, great player, it's having fantastic. an excellent season. You're right, not having the best of the three. <laughs> He's having, oh, great, his own team. he's having a great season. Still having a great season. However, Not as good as Garrett Wilson or JSN. Yeah, and, and you, you know, you really only have to look at the fact that he's third most catches and third most wide receiving, uh, third most receiving yards on the team. Yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigma leads it with 59 catches for 1,027 yards, which is wild in of itself, by the way. That's... And and Garrett Wilson, yeah, I mean, especially the yards per catch because mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson 53 catches for 813 yards. So in six more catches, JSN has. 200 additional yards. Yeah. That's a pretty good average. That's pretty good. Olave is tied for the lead among all FBS players with 11 receiving touchdowns. So there is that. He has money in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, J-Mo, for comparison, since we were talking about the Alabama wide receiver, is 51 catches for 1,028 yards. So so he, you know, 10 touchdowns plus two kickoff return touchdowns. He's probably the leader out of the clubhouse there. Yeah. He's got better stats. But, you know, he, he and JSN – that that's comparable stat line, right? That's where they should be looking. And then, of course, and Chris Olave might might come out and win it. Now, I actually think Jamal will probably, if he ends up, if Alabama goes out and they you know do the things that Alabama normally yeah. does, that sounds like something that he'll probably you know be able to wrap up just because of name recognition. And then Ohio State will split the vote and all that stuff. But um, yeah, to me, I look at these awards and I'm like, sometimes they're. You know, they're a career award. Yes. Sometimes it's a hype award. Yeah. I just, there's so much to be, like, kind of irritated about with them. I don't put a lot of stock in them, honestly, um, unless it's, you know, <laughs> unless it's something that directly benefits We'll my talk team. about the Heisman so, in a minute. Uh, Ohio State has faced two other Belitnikoff semifinalists mm-hmm. in Purdue's David Bell and Penn State's Jahan Dotson. Now, I thought Ohio State's defense did an excellent job against Dotson. Dotson was not a big factor in that Penn State game. I Dotson, mean, he was fine, but he wasn't. Dotson wasn't a big factor against Michigan either. I mean, they kind of they kind of raced him a little bit. On Purdue's David Bell had a better game than Dotson did, I thought, against Ohio State. But there again, it wasn't like Bell propelled. I, I got to say, Purdue's quarterback Aiden O'Connell, I thought, was fantastic. Oh, he's he has turned. He had an inconsistent start to the season. The last three or four games, he's been very very good. Uh, the biggest thing for him was turnovers, and he has kind of eliminated that to the point where now he's just dangerous. And, you know, you're throwing 400, 500 yards a game. Yeah. You're going to get noticed. I think in the last, what, last two games, he's basically close to, <laughs> to 1,000 yards passing and, in and two so, games. And I want to talk about this from the standpoint of Ohio State's defense a bit because after the game, Purdue head coach Jeff Brom talked about the fact that Purdue was lucky to hold Ohio State to 59. Mm-hmm. Our Kyle Jones this week at 11 Warriors had a great film study piece, as he does every week. But he talked about the Purdue game plan and what a questionable game plan it was. Basically stuffing the box, trying to stop the run, (laughs) and leaving the field open for this incredible wide receiving core to just run the head. Do whatever they want to do. Yeah, and, and, you know, the reason this has me kind of licking my chops, Johnny Ray, is that Michigan State has the 130th ranked passing defense That's pretty bad in the FBS out of 130 teams. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I assume, I mean, Mel Tucker's got 10 years and, and $95 million to, to fix that. 
That's an obscene but, amount of money. But it is. But my like my point is with that is, is Tucker that, now the best paid coach in the Big Ten. Did that put him up there? It's gotta. It's gotta be either one or two, right? I mean, Harbaugh took a hit. Yeah, Harbaugh Har- took a hit. Day would cut. probably be the only guy to challenge that. I don't think he's. I don't think. He, nine no, no, no. I think he's. He's like I think around five or six. So yeah, I think that would make him the the highly the most highly compensated coach in the Big Ten. Dollar man. Wow. But but to the point is that right now, <laughs> right now, that's something that they've got to improve. I don't know that you pay a dude that much money if, if you don't think that he's going to improve on that but like that is a big deal and that's part of why i'm not super scared of, of michigan state in general because that's that's ohio state's bread and butter i am much more concerned about michigan we'll talk about this you know next week yeah um but i'm much more concerned about michigan because michigan actually does the things that are necessary to disrupt a passing game whereas michigan state's kind of content to be like we're going to try to shorten this game with kenneth walker and then just kind of cross our fingers we so, were talking about this as a staff earlier, you know, which of the next two games gives you the heebie-jeebies more. And yeah. some of them, you know, it's clearly it's Michigan, not Michigan State. Some of it's Michigan State. You are firmly in the camp of it ain't Michigan State. No, it's not. And not, not that Michigan State's like a bad team or anything like that. They're a very good team. But <laughs> the, the problem is, is that they just can be exploited by Ohio State in ways that um, Michigan State just can't really stop. And, that, and that's that's the problem is that – and that's with any team that has to face Ohio State. Yeah. You're going to have to deal with the fact that you've got three All-American level uh, wide receivers who are being thrown to by a Heisman Trophy candidate. You, if you can't stop that, if you can't deal with that, then you're not going to have a good time against the Buckeyes. The thing that I find really interesting about Michigan State is as we start to shade into thinking about our opponent for this weekend, mm-hmm. you know, here's a team that, not that long ago, was ranked in the top three in the country. Yeah. Tremendous amount of respect from the voters on the playoff committee. And and then, you know, they lose to their their big rivals in Purdue. Yeah. That's a little joke. There. That's everybody's rival, right? Yeah, Purdue's – I mean, they just have this – Purdue's just this evil. They're – Giant killer. The yeah, spoiler Purdue's, makers. <laughs> yeah, Purdue's just kind of like the, the evil doll that sits in the attic that, like, somebody stumbles across and then it curses them for life. Like, it's not something that's intentional – it just happens to you. You can't deal with it. And, and I think that's why, you know, I feel pretty good about this game from an Ohio State standpoint because, you know, which team is, is Ohio State more like Purdue? Is Ohio State more like Michigan? Is Ohio State mm-hmm. more like, you know, because I'm looking at Michigan State's game record this season. You know, the teams that they beat to get up there to the top three include such heavyweights as Northwestern, Youngstown State, Miami, the one in Florida, not the one in Ohio, though I'm not sure it makes much difference anymore. Not at this point. Uh, Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Indiana, and Michigan. So that's right. one one good team. <laughs> well, I mean, I know we could say this about Ohio State. That's team, but, exactly but, but, right. But, but it's just just looking at Michigan State. Right. I mean, Michigan's the one good team on that list. Michigan is a very good team. Though. Nebraska is the best awful team in America, but yes. they you know, and they only beat them by a field goal. Mm-hmm. So then, which I, don't, I mean, that's Nebraska's MO, right? Is they we lose by exactly the that's right. So I'm I'm looking at their record. I guess is what right. I'm saying, Johnny, and that's and, fair. And saying Purdue, who has an offense that would be more like Ohio State's than anybody else that yes. Michigan State's has played. Yes, Purdue waltzes in there, takes them to the woodshed, and I beats mean, them running away. That game wasn't even close. I no, mean, they, forty from the to twenty nine, and it wasn't that close. Yeah, from the snap, they were just all over them. I. 
you know, it's interesting to me because one of the big things about Michigan State that maybe people aren't talking about as much as maybe they should is the regression of Peyton Thorne a little bit. Okay. That dude was considered to be one of the best quarterbacks in the United States until maybe two or three games ago. And I think in the last five games, he has, uh, I want to say, I think seven interceptions. He's got, yeah, he's got seven interceptions in the last five games. That's, that's crazy. That's bad. That's crazy. That's bad. And that's it. And he had, he has eight interceptions overall this season. So he has really, really done a poor job at taking care of the football. And especially when you're going to Ohio State, a team with a pretty good ball hawking defense, you got to worry about that a little bit. So that tells me that they're going to lean even more on Kenneth Walker to try to shorten the game as much as possible, which again plays in Ohio State's hands because Ohio State's, you got a quick straight offense. They welcome that. They'll, they will take a 15 minute, you know, like time of possession stat because right. that means that they scored 50 points and they did it on 80 yard touchdowns. And that is the absolute last thing that Michigan State wants to have to deal with. They, they do not want to have these giant home run hitting plays that Ohio State is capable of. And I don't know that they can stop that. And, and so Kenneth Walker III is the one reason that I have some trepidation. Sure, he's fantastic. Best running back in America you know, outside of, of, if you want to say, Travion Henderson. Could be I think he's the best. Maybe, I think he's I'm the best. going to give him the nod. Yeah. I don't think that's. I don't think that's. Uh, you know, going way out there on a limb. Yeah. So, the game that Ohio State lost, <laughs> it wasn't because Oregon threw the ball all over the field. No. They ran for two hundred and some yards that day. Right. Uh, so, does that give you any 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 cause for concern that Ohio State has been maybe better against the pass than they have been against the run? Yeah. Well, and I think the. If you want to look for reasons to be nervous during the game, are you suggesting that I just <laughs> that I, I don't I, I, I shouldn't have them, but I'm looking for them? Well, I do. So <laughs> I, I'm saying if you're the kind of person that looks for reasons to be nervous during the game, like myself, um, then you might see Kenneth Walker the third running for six or seven yards, and then Ohio State not being able to get off the field on third downs. That's yep. the problem because it's not so much that you're going to like completely stymie this guy and not give him any yards. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it's going to set up third and short situations that Ohio State has been terrible at yes. this season. So that to me is kind of the bigger thing. They're going to run him in first down probably 80% of the time. So if you can get to second long or third and manageable and then get off the field, that is going to probably much, you know, pretty much end the game right there. The bigger issue is if he gets third and short or second and short or something like that, and you can't get off on the field, and, and that's 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 going to be an issue. Ryan Day talked about defending a running back like Walker, and he said, you know, you've got to get him down on first contact. That's the craziest thing about Walker's season. Is something like eighty percent of his rushing yards have been after contact. Yeah, I mean, he has something like eight hundred yards out of a thousand some yards rushing. After contact. Which also tells you a little bit something about the Michigan State offensive line as They're well. not great. Right. And that's the other thing, because if Ohio State's defensive line can cause a lot of pressure on Peyton Thorne and then, again, make them even more one-dimensional, that helps a lot, too. Um, yeah. I would hope that Ohio State's linebackers, safeties, corners, whoever, can, they get a hand on the guy that can maybe slow him down a little bit. Um, but we have seen some inconsistent tackling, too, so maybe that's another thing to kind of take a look at, especially as the game goes on. The discussion about the, the line play is, uh, is one that's very interesting because I, to me this is a game, if I were game planning this, I think I would draw it up the way that they drew it up defensively versus Penn State because mm-hmm. you look at the amount of pressure that Ohio State's defense brought and, and not just actual blitzes but simulated pressure 
Yeah. And it just gave them fits. I mean, Penn State recorded something like 33 yards rushing that day. Yeah, that's uh, exactly Clearly, that's right. not going to happen against a back as, as good as Kenneth Walker the third. You're not going to get 33 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. But that kind of pressure also plays into this idea you were talking about, about Thorne's regression, the ball-hawking tendency of this defense. Am I reading that wrong, or do you say, you know what, bring the house? No, I, I think you're right. They're going to have to be creative in how they try to blitz, and, and, and I think they should be aggressive. I, I really do. I think that's probably smart, especially with a guy like Thorne who's not done a great job of taking care of the ball in the last five games. Um, you you got to think of creative ways to bring pressure. And the, th- the other thing is, I mean, maybe it's covering for the linebackers a little bit too. You know what I mean? Because if you just sit back and you're like, all right, we'll fill gaps and then we'll stop him, right? We'll, we'll figure out where he's going on the line and then we'll stop. I don't think, as you just mentioned, I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Because if a guy can break tackles like Walker can, uh, you're just asking him to pull off, you know, 10, 15-yard runs on a regular basis. So you're going to have to do some creative things with blitzing, change the timing on some of those handoffs, things like that, uh, to kind of disrupt that running game and the passing game, obviously. But the, the timing that you can, you know, the, that you can mess with by doing that is, is also helpful, I think. And, and one of the concerns I have, you know, back to ma- maybe manufactured concerns, I don't think this is the best tackling Ohio State team I've seen no. in, in the past 20 years. I, I think that's an area where the Ohio State defense could get markedly better is on tackling, wrapping guys up and get them to the turf. Right. I feel like they whiff more than they should. Yeah. Am I just – is that is that me being a home fan, like yelling at the TV <laughs> like an old man yells at cloud? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I think that's something that's a valid criticism for Ohio State. Uh, I don't know what you do to rectify that other than just experience and, you know, maybe – <laughs> getting more former running backs to play linebacker. I don't know. Uh, what's, but, what's Chris Ash doing these days? Yeah, right. Like that. We were pretty good tackling when that guy was here. Yeah, so I I think maybe that's part of it is just experience in general and then figuring out who your guys are. But, um, yeah, I think you'll see a lot of that on Saturday. And, and by a lot of that, I mean a lot of people kind of wringing their hands and going, ah, oh, crap, we can't get this guy down. Yeah. But that's because he's just so good. Yeah. And – I no, don't know that nobody's they, been any good at getting him down. Well, it's interesting you say that because there's been a couple teams that have slowed him down a little bit, and they're absolutely not the teams that you would expect. I was looking this up a little bit. Let me pull this up here. So Kenneth Walker, right, has done a great job pretty much against everybody, save Indiana. <laughs> for yeah. some reason. I don't know why. And then also Tom Allen is a defensive minded coach. That's right. And then Nebraska, which Nebraska actually is a yeah, pretty their decent defense, defense. Is pretty good. Right uh, against both of those teams, he averaged less than four yards. And, and particularly their linebackers, I thought were outstanding. Their linebackers are incredible, and obviously they've got uh, you know a couple guys who are you know NFL bound. I, I was watching that game, saying, "Oh, this is what it's like to have a good linebacker." Right. Court. So their 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 defense is legit, but against Indiana as well, he struggled a little bit. Everybody else is you know it's seven eight yards, but. Um, he can be contained. He's a very high-volume running back. It's, he's not going to surprise you when he comes on the field about what's going to happen. Um, but that can also be the, to the detriment of your defense because then you've got to tackle this guy 30 times a game. And right. Nobody wants to actually do that. Um, I, I think there are ways to kind of go about this. But if Ohio State – let me put it this way. Ohio State wants to avoid all of this, you know, discussion, not yeah. have to deal with any of it. Just jump out to like a two touchdown lead, and then the entire tenor of the game changes because then they can't do that, right? Because we're back to that thing we said at the beginning. You know, how many teams can dig themselves out of a forty-five to seventeen halftime hole? Right. I, I mean, there's a part of me that says Ohio State's defense just has to be good enough 
you know, the old days of defense wins championships, I don't buy that anymore. And that's even granting right. that Georgia's apparently playing like the 85 Bears. Sure. I, I think Alabama has, has shown the way that you just have to have an adequate defense. Yeah. So if you're scoring 50 points a game and then the other guy's scoring 35, well, guess what? You won, you won every game. game by 15 right. points. Right. So, yeah, it, it doesn't – and Ohio State right now is averaging over 46 points a game. So, which ain't bad. <laughs> which isn't bad. I want to look at uh, the line for this game. Eight, it opened at 18, and I think it's widened out to like 20 and a half. That feels like a fat line to be. We said that against game. Purdue, though, too. Well, and that's why I'm, you know, I've kind of like been hesitant to just start saying, yeah, they're going to blow out everybody because of Nebraska and Penn State. Sure. And, and there's a part of me that wants to say, well, Michigan State, you know, th- their defense is going to be tough, like, except we were just talking about how bad their they're bad. pass defense is. They're like, actually bad. So are you expecting another Purdue-like outcome against the, the Spartans? I think they'll do well. Um, the I'm going to pull up the actual score that I gave to Chris. because You want to be consistent across, I want to be consistent. I don't yeah. want to tell Dubcast listeners one thing and then have something else pop up that's different on the site. I said 42-24, and um, I think a part of that is going to be because Ohio State is going to jump out early. I, I really do think that they're not going to – Michigan State's not going to have an answer for what they do offensively, particularly in the first half. Um, and as a result, I think they'll just – they're not going to allow Kenneth Walker III to do what he does to other teams. And uh, I think they win pretty easily. Yeah, honestly. my official prediction was 49-24. So, okay. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm – You're I'm, spotting I'm another TD. There. Yeah, I, I am because it, it's the same thing. I think that this is a game where you might actually see – C.J. Stroud go out there and throw for five touchdowns. I think it's be like the fourth game this season where he's thrown for five. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because that's stupid. Like, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a. I think it's that, a those are video game happen. numbers. That's made up. They they are. Uh, but I mean, this feels like one of those games because of how absolutely dreadful Michigan State's passing defense is. Yeah. This feels like one of those games where it's a 500 yarder. Yeah, I feel like they can pick their. I, I think they can pick their poison pretty much. You know, they can they can try to stop Henderson. Fine, and then you do exactly what Purdue did, which is leave your three elite wide receivers open. And then if you try to like just you know go back in the quarters covered or something, fine. You've got the best young running back in America who's gonna you know run for 150 yards. I just I, I don't think there's a good way for them to stop what Ohio State's offense brings to the table. What was interesting to me, you know, is you know versus Nebraska, we we kind of took, and this is going back to how good their defense was. We took Ohio State's offensive line to task specifically because Ohio State couldn't run the ball mm-hmm. versus Nebraska. Ohio State's offensive line looked really good against Purdue, both, of course, in pass pro as they've been all season long. Yeah. But opening up holes, blowing guys off the ball, that, that was a much better performance from the offensive line against Purdue. Well, they looked aggressive, right? They didn't look passive. It looked, you know, especially in the running game, you've got to have a certain attitude about you if you're the offensive line, and they look like they wanted to dominate the line of scrimmage. And it's not been consistent, but yep. when they're able to do that in the rushing game, you see what happens. Yes. Like, there's there's no stopping it. And they have the talent to do that. I just really do think it is kind of an attitude thing sometimes where they've got to get in the mindset of, like, we're unstoppable, we're going to destroy dudes. And then when they decide that, that's what happens. And in looking at, you know, that was a game, the Purdue game, where they had an All-American pass rusher in George Karloftis. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was nice to get George's entire life story late in the game. I I (laughs) tweeted that, you know, we officially reached the telling the life story of the losing team's players point of a blowout because I felt like we got the life story of like three different Boilermakers. But even with an All-American 
pass rusher on the defensive line. The Boilermakers get this. No sacks, no quarterback hurries, just three tackles for loss the entire game. Yeah. That's a pretty good outing for an offensive line. That's not bad. That's Uh, not bad. And, by the way, one more thing I want to say about, because we talk about, like, the sack numbers and things like that. Yeah. I think C.J. Stroud really deserves a little bit more credit for that as well. Mm. Um, and part of it is is that, yeah, the guy is like, okay, I'm, I'm a quarterback. I'm not going to run all that other stuff, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but but it is important to know and, and to realize that the guy is throwing the ball, right? Like, he's, he's getting the ball out of his hands when he needs to. He, yes. He'll throw the ball away. He's not going to make stupid choices in the backfield. Uh, that's really a big deal, and I think that's cutting down on the sacks as well. And if there was one thing that you would maybe criticize Justin Fields for, and this is being nitpicky, mm-hmm. it was maybe holding the ball too long and yes. trying to make something happen yeah. when there were times he should have just chucked it into the end zone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's and he's not Johnny Manziel, right? The guy, his his talent was being a guy who could scramble, throw you know forty yards on frozen rope, but he's he's more Steve Young, right, yeah. than than Johnny Manziel, and like. Because of that, you're going to take some sacks if you try to make something out of yes. nothing sometimes. And, and that's not what C.J. Stroud does. It's not his game. He understands that. Yep. He'll run around. He'll do what he needs to do to get guys open and throw guys open. But he's not going to take a sack if he, if he you know, can avoid it. We talked about the Doak Walker Award and Trivion Henderson. We talked about the Bolitnikoff Award. We talked about the Broyles Award. Let's add another one to the list. Ohio State left tackle. Nicholas Pettifrere named semifinalist for the Outland Trophy. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got a legit shot at that. There's some really good offensive linemen out there, but he has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, there are, I mean, not just him, but the entire offensive line, you can point to any guy and say, like, they've just been utterly dominant. He has been great just when you look at terms of, like, his role on the yeah. offensive line, you know what I mean? Because it guards, tackles, whatever, you're going to be focusing on, Things like uh, run blocking, sacks allowed, that kind of stuff, depending on where you are on the line. And in his particular spot, I, I don't think that there's really, you know, too many guys that can say that they're performing better than him nationally. He's, he's done an incredible job um, this year, and, and I don't think anybody's really surprised by that. He's, he's evolved as, you know, his career's gone on something really special. Pro Football Focus says he's allowed just a single sack on 360 pass blocking That's snaps. unbelievable. That's amazing. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And, you know... <laughs> I will take some issue with PFF sometimes in terms of their their analysis. Yeah. That's a pretty that's a pretty solid stat. Yeah, you can't yeah, you can't yeah. fudge that. You can't fudge that. That's pretty amazing. I think this would be a good time before we get into things like the Heisman Trophy, the college football playoff, and so on to maybe go to the mailbag and do some Ask Us Anything. Let's do it. You think you want to do that? All right, friends, it is time for Ask Us Anything, which is a good time to remind you as always that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at Eleven Warriors Hats. T-shirts, stickers, everything for the starting Ohio State. Yeah, the new shirts are pretty sweet. Yeah, I like them. I need to go and add some of those. You know, Christmas is coming, so buy buy that Buckeye fan in your life. Something that shows you are a person of taste, (laughs) class, by shopping at drygoods.11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com. And thanks, as always, to the official sports bar of 11 Warriors, Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, for bringing us out on the road, getting out of the basement, And uh, getting out here to meet the people. Great crowd tonight here in Reynoldsburg. All right. It's time for Ask Us Anything. What do you got in the mailbag, my friend? So I want to remind you that you can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's uh, do a question here. This is from our good friend Alvin who wants to know what's more likely at this point, an Oregon-OSU rematch or a UGA-Bama rematch? Yeah, I would say that would be. 
Well, geez, that's a good one, Alvin. By the way, Oregon underdogs, they're dogs this week against uh, the Utes. Yeah, I, I mean, Utah's been playing fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the Utes. And that's why I think it's probably Alabama-Georgia is the more likely rematch. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think maybe the more likely thing is that Oregon doesn't make the playoff. Yeah. If, if, they, if they lose to Utah, they're done. I think even if they win the Pac-12. Because it's going to be much harder to keep an undefeated Cincinnati out when you start talking about two loss conference They'll keep champions. Them out. They'll keep them out. I think they will too, but it's going to be harder. <laughs> it's going to be harder. That's all I'm Who saying. do they answer to, Andy? Who's going to come knocking on their door and say, like, how dare you? Ultimately, they answer to Disney. That's Well, that's a good point. Ultimately, they answer to Mickey which, Mouse. Which is going to show up. Which makes it even less likely, you know, that they make it in. But, you know, I, I just really think that you end up, you start end up with two loss. You have a two loss Oregon, in theory, as a Pac-12. That's assuming that they would go on to win the Pac-12 because there's nothing saying that Utah wouldn't. Yeah, beat them in a Pac-12. That's right, championship game, right? So you've got that. I, I think the Big 12's goose is cooked. I know there's some discussion like, oh, Oklahoma State could still make, uh, you know, I I don't know. I think the Big 12's I think the Big 12's done uh, with Oklahoma cratering. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah, I still think the most likely four in general is Georgia, Alabama. Ohio State and, and Oregon. I, I've said that for several yeah. weeks now. Um, but, you know, the more likely of the two rematches is, is Bama-Georgia because probably what happens there, this is the scenario, Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC title game, falls to four, and then they end up one and four playing each other in the first round of the playoff. So the two lost Bama. Yeah. In the playoffs. Yeah. I think the reason Alabama is number two from the opening whistle here is to give them that cushion. Yes. They've gotten, they give them a mulligan. I don't want to believe it, but I believe it's a mulligan. Why else are you putting them at number two? Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. No, I agree. It's it's a, it's a, it's a built in mulligan. God, I hate that. So Georgia and Bama square up. Georgia wins. Bama falls to four and they replay. They, they, they run it back. And that, and that, by the way, is the worst-case scenario for Alabama. Because yeah. if Alabama wins, well, for the SEC, rather, because if right. Alabama wins, Georgia, of course, is still in it. Sure. There's no way in yeah. hell they're going to keep them out. Nope. <laughs> so the only way that Alabama is actually, like, potentially out of the college football playoff is if they lose to Georgia. And flip this around, Alabama wins. Guess what? They move to number one. Yes. Georgia falls to number two. Yeah. So the rematch doesn't happen, at least in – that first oh, round that's right. game, yes, right. But it probably and the national championship, in the national championship yeah. game, unless Ohio State, you know, beats that. You know, so then becomes really interesting. That's incredibly is Ohio State the number three seed or the number four seed? Right now, I feel like the three seed's pretty likely. And, you know, now maybe, maybe these playoff committee people will surprise <laughs> me. And when Ohio State beats Michigan State, Michigan, and Wisconsin in back to back to back weekends, maybe Ohio State leaps up to number two. Can I, get, can I throw a really oh, goofy... Oh, I wish you would. I want to throw a really goofy hypothetical at you. And this is not good for Ohio State, so I hope it does not happen. I will say that. All right, but let's say Michigan State comes out. They beat Ohio State this yeah. weekend. Michigan comes out. They beat Ohio State. Oh, jeez. God, why are you doing this to me? Because this is what I want to set up. So, you've got the Big Ten Championship game. Uh-huh. Who would consist of, what, Michigan State and... Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But you've got a one-loss Michigan 
Yeah. Okay. Right. And then a one loss Michigan State. How are they ranking those teams right now? God. Think about that. Yeah. Would they they give Michigan State, would they give them the benefit of the doubt? As the conference champion having beaten Wisconsin, yes. Okay. Yeah. But Ohio State beat Michigan. Wisconsin's but, good. But, but Michigan Wisconsin's beat Ohio good. State. Wouldn't, know, that, wouldn't, I, that be, wouldn't that be a better win than over Wisconsin? So this is one of those things that gets really screwy about the playoff in general is this question of, of, of good losses and, you know, so on. You know, that, that drives me crazy. We start talking about so-and-so, like, oh, this was a good loss. This is a good loss. No, it wasn't. It's a loss. There are no good <laughs> losses. There are no moral victories, and there are no good losses. Uh, but, but that's exactly what happens. And, in fact, I mean, you had that conversation – Gary Barta, who is chair of the playoff committee, talked about that this week, that they really had some uh, intense discussions. I don't know if that's exactly the phrase, but about how they had ranked Alabama, Oregon, and Ohio State. And so a lot of people have pointed to the immense logical inconsistencies in having Oregon ranked over Ohio State by strength of the head-to-head, which I think is right. I think they should be ranked ahead of Ohio State because the head-to-head, their schedules are similar. I'm fine right with now. that. I'm, yeah, I agree. Their I'm records fine are fine. I'm fine with that. Oregon has the head-to-head. But then you go two spots down, and you've got Michigan ranked over Michigan State. <laughs> right. Which makes no sense. Which makes no sense. Right. So, you know, but they keep saying, oh, Michigan's the more complete team. Michigan's the more complete team. Be that Not as really. it may, the more com- be that as it may, the more complete team lost. Yeah, exactly. I, in, in a rivalry game. Yes. I, you know, no, that's not okay. They blew a huge lead too. It's not, you know, it wasn't like one of those like controversial contested games. Yep. Like you, they, they, they had a chance to put that thing away, and they absolutely failed to do that in the second half because they have deficiencies at offense that you know are they really can't fix. Like it, it, they are who they are, right? right. They're a run first team with a quarterback who really is not going to win you any games. And if you can shut down the running game, then you got a really good shot at beating Michigan. So, um, I don't know, man. I, I don't think that Michigan and Michigan State are that far apart. And that's why it's even more hilarious that the committee is like, well, Michigan's clearly the better team, even though they lost. <laughs> like, they're, they're not that different. They're not that different. The only thing I take out of this... Michigan has a much better defense. The only I'm, thing I'll I take that. out of this is that, you, you know, you and I... Just got done saying 10 minutes ago that we're not sweating this game versus Michigan State all that much mm-hmm. because Michigan State's pass defense is terrible. Right. Ohio State's offense is, you know. Amazing. Incredible. When they're, when they're on. When they're on, they're, and, and they've been on 95% of the year. So maybe those people who are paid to sit in this luxury conference room in Grapevine, Texas, or wherever they're bunkered down this season and actually watch these games – Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they've looked at this and been like, y'all, Ohio State's going to take Michigan State out behind the barn. Like Foghorn Leghorn, that old hound dog. If you're going to do weekly shows like this, then why bother Why bother with the horse race? Like, just then, then just say that. Why do we play the games? Yeah, I, well, I, right. <laughs> well, that, well, if they're going to ignore the results of them, then yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, either you... Base it on branding and say, we believe that this team is going to be great and they'll right. continue to be great and all that. Or you do make it a weekly kind of like update horse race, who looks the best week to week, and then just do it that way. Because either way, you can do whatever you want in the last ranking anyway. Yeah. So at least be less disingenuous when you're ranking teams on a week to week basis. Yeah, I, I think the Michigan Michigan State ranking is screwy. Uh, I think it's pretty clear Cincinnati has to have multiple teams ahead of it lose to get in. Yeah. I agree with you that, that you know, they're, 
They don't have a whole lot of hope. And you know, it's really kind of wild. You think about how long they've been winning now. They went into last season's postseason undefeated, right? So mm-hmm. they're working on back-to-back undefeated seasons uh, and to get left out. Uh, and, and I think they're a better team than Central Florida was when Central Florida was hanging sure. proverbial banners there a few years ago. All right, uh, let's, let's see what, it, what else we got in the mailbag. We kind of we got So that's, little... that's what we got this week, but we do have a couple things next week that I want to get to oh, when we get to the game. Okay, yeah, hold on to some things. All right, good. Um, so we, we should probably talk a little bit about shooty hoops. Yes. Because as we're recording this, Ohio State is playing Xavier in the Gavit tip-off games. Uh, it's, it's not been going super well for Ohio State, although they've battled back to within five at this point. Uh, E.J. Liddell is uh, not quite to a double-double yet, although he's, he's working on it. Ohio okay. State is down by five here. How have, you, how have you felt about the Buckeyes basketball performance in the first few games? I know you've been watching with, with great interest because you are a huge fan, as am I, of Zed Key, most yeah, entertaining man. player in college basketball. Oh, my God, I love Zed Key so much. I, you know, Justice Sewing's injury really sucks. Um, yeah, not great. Well, it's not just that it's a key component of your team, but also the fact that you don't know who's going to replace that offensive production. And you would hope that, okay, you get Kyle Young back. That's great. Zed Key looks like he's emerging a little bit. That's great. Uh, but the consistency uh, from both of those guys is not there. Justin Arns, right, can occasionally shoot the lights out of a three. You need a second dude. Now, we talked about this last week. Um E.J. Liddell is incredible. He's a, he's a fantastic basketball player. He is. Uh, you cannot rely on that guy to score 25 points every single game. And he, he might do that and win you some games. Mm-hmm. Um, but the offensive production is going to be difficult to find for the next couple months at least while they try to find a guy who's going to be able to replace that. I think the early flashes you've seen from Malachi Branham have been really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I think he and I think he can grow into a guy who can, who can kind of give you that, but – um, right now, they're leaning hard on EJ Liddell, and that's again great player. I don't know that's a recipe for long term success. All right, as we're as we're finishing up our recording, the Buckeyes are down by about seven with thirteen and a half to play. So we'll we'll, we'll uh, keep an eye on that and maybe talk more about shooty hoops next week as we wrap up the, the, the let's get in some quick cows here before we wrap up the broadcast, Johnny. So Ohio State announced this week it's going to reduce ticket prices for 2022 football season tickets, which go on sale on Tuesday. I know you have been watching with great interest for a few years now, the up and down trends, mostly down, of college football attendance. Now, COVID threw things into a bit of a tailspin, but but for a few years pre-COVID, we'd been seeing, by and large, attendance at college football programs around the country. Not necessarily Ohio State, but other teams in the Big Ten, other programs in general, trending downward. Mm -hmm. A lot of reasons for that. Ohio State finally maybe acquiescing to that reality a little bit and lowering its ticket prices, which have been, I think, You've seen stiff. empty, uh, what? When they when they had Oregon in, they didn't have a packed house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a number of games below 100,000. Yep. That's that's the reality right now. If you're Gene Smith, if you're the Athletic Department of Ohio State or any major athletic department, you're, you're going to be looking that in the face. And it's not going to go away. It's not something where... Oh, it's the pandemic, or oh, you know, it's just like a weird thing on a year-to-year basis. No, this is a trend that's been happening for years, and it's because a, what you're getting in the stadium experience is commensurate with what you're paying, because you're paying premium prices to go see games, yeah, presented in a way that aren't premium. Like you, you don't get bench seats when you go to the NFL, right? 
you don't get bench seats when you go to the Columbus Crew, right? Right. That's so. If that's what the you know is expected from the people who are going to these games, then they don't want to pay premium prices for a product that they they want more out of. So again, I'm not you know hating on the product on the field, which is still obviously fantastic and exciting and fun to watch, but now you've got 52 inch TVs that cost a hundred dollars. <laughs> And that's the only investment you really have to make to really enjoy Ohio State football. So great, they're reducing the prices. I don't know that that's gonna like. I don't know that that's gonna really keep them afloat. They've got to make some more significant changes, in my opinion. Yeah, this is a, it, to me. It's interesting how they did this because this is also the, in addition to them reducing ticket prices. The first time that there's a section, first time in a while, that there's a section of seating that doesn't require a huge contribution to the athletic department in addition to your ticket prices. So right. uh, if you wanted to get seats in zone six, which are uh, corner seats in C-Deck, basically, you're going to shell out 559 bucks a seat, no additional contribution to Buckeye Club, which is the fundraising arm of, of the athletic department. Previously, it was 1500 bucks in outlay donation to the Buckeye Club, plus then your cost of your tickets. That's dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, that's dumb. But, but prior to... COVID, they've been able to command that, right? right? She was sold out pretty much every week. Sure. That hasn't been the case this season. Right. So the economist in me says, friends, the market works. <laughs> Supply and demand holds. All good in the hood. But that's the problem, though, because I don't think that you're not going to be able to just flip a switch here or change a price pricing point and then be like, you know, it's fixed. Because that's not going to happen. You're, you're going to get diminishing yeah. returns yeah. no matter your, your, your what point you do. Is there's more that has to be done in yes. terms of the product, the yeah. experience. Yes. It's not just a matter of pricing. I am not shocked that people didn't want to sit in sea deck in 90-degree weather and get, like, a fourth-degree sunburn watching Ohio State, you know, beat a team by 50 points or whatever. Like, it's – I still enjoy going to the games, and if, you know and, – and maybe this is a little bit of, like, okay, well, I've been to games, and so I, I'm just kind of, you know – sour on the experience or something like that. That's not it. I still love the experience, but the problem is is that the price that the price point that's being asked is way beyond I think what people are comfortable paying and it's not I think the problem isn't that that they have to reduce the price point, you know, a certain amount or something like that. I don't know that there is a price point where somebody can go, "Okay, now I feel okay about this anymore." Because what they're doing instead is they're they're saying Either I sit at home and enjoy it that way or I go to the game and, and, and deal with it that way and, and enjoy it that way. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a magical price where people will, will choose one over the other, but I think it's a lot lower than maybe Ohio State's willing to accept. Marquee game next year being Notre Dame in the non-conference schedule. Ohio State will also welcome <laughs> Arkansas State and Toledo. Yeah, who's buying tickets for Arkansas State? Like That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, they will go on the road. To face Michigan State and Penn State back to back weekends to finish out September and open October. Then a three game home stretch Rutgers, Iowa, Indiana before going to Northwestern's Ryan Field. Coming back home to face Michigan, uh, sorry, Wisconsin rather, on the road to Maryland and then Michigan at Ohio Stadium to close the season. Interesting schedule next week. Uh, that Notre Dame game, that'll be fun. I'm excited about that. That'll be good. I love beating Notre Dame. Always right, a good we, thing. we can't not talk about uh, our good friend Dabo Swinney. <laughs> who rage quit the coaches poll yeah. this year. He said, screw it, I'm done. Ohio State's biggest victory over any opponent ever is getting Davos Winnie to stop participating in the coaches poll. You know, I, I used to say this, and it was I was joking, but it was true, that Jim Tressel ended Larry Coker's coaching career. 
when when Ohio State beat Miami in the Fiesta Bowl to win the national championship game, he destroyed Miami's program. It wasn't one coach. I, I, he destroyed their whole football program. It, it's, you're right. You're right. And I feel like Ohio State has like crushed little old Clemson. I really hope that's soul the case. here. And I mean, because not, not only do they stink this year, yeah. they really do stink. But yeah, you've got you've got Dabo down here quitting the coach's poll because he said ranking Ohio State at number eleven caused nothing but a distraction. You know, he's not rage quitting if they <laughs> won that game, right? Like. That ranking was the greatest troll move of all time until it got your hind parts kicked in. Yeah, well, I disagree with that as the greatest troll move of all time because it had no benefit. If they win that game, then what do people say? Oh, I guess you're right, David. Like, who cares? <laughs> but if they lose that game, now he just looks like a complete idiot. He doesn't he gain anything by being a complete right. idiot. I know, but he's the worst person in college football, and that's saying something. His problem is that he wants everyone to believe that he's as right as he believes he is. And and because of that, he can't accept the fact that somebody calls him an idiot, you know, for ranking Ohio State 11th, which, of course, was clearly stupid. It's clearly stupid. Um, and because of that, he just like, I don't want the drama anymore. No, it, it's not the drama. He just doesn't want people telling him he's wrong. And that's, and that's why he ended up quitting. And, of course, now you're in a season where you're not living up to expectations. You've got to rely on, hopefully, a late-season win, I think, over Wake to, like, stay in any kind of, like, title talk for – uh, and, if Wake, and if Wake comes out early with an early lead, I mean, I think it's all gas, no breaks oh, there. Oh, God. Clemson, they're off. I'm not saying Wake's going to win that game, but if they jump out to an early lead, it's over. Yeah, there's no – Clemson is not a play-from-behind type of team. Um, so, yeah, he's dealing with all that, and it's – I don't know. If I'm him, why – this is exactly why he sucks as much as he does, because why even bring it up? If you're going to drop out of the coaches' bowl, fine. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't say anything about it. Because now he's bringing up the fact, like, oh, there's so much drama with Ohio State. Yeah, we just all got reminded that you're dumb. Right. Thanks. That's Almost a year later. Good job, Dabo. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's funny. I hope that Ryan Day destroyed Clemson's program the same way that uh, Jim Trussell did with Miami. And I hope Dabo if, is forced. If that's the case, give Ryan Day the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, absolutely. And, and last thing I would say is that I hope Dabo's last act of his career is having to personally sign a paycheck to one of his football players. That would be very funny. To and me. let's end on this. Ohio State is an early seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Michigan in the game. How do you feel about the line? Uh, too, too slim, too fat? You are a resident expert on how things are going with that team up north. I think that's fair. I think that's a good line. Um, Ohio State, <laughs> you know, their, their offense obviously is amazing, but Michigan probably is the one team on the schedule, aside from maybe like flashes that you've seen from Nebraska, Michigan is really well set up to try to attack Ohio State's offense. They have a great defensive line. Um, they've gotten much better in their defensive secondary. Uh, they've got active linebackers who are really productive. They can do things defensively in terms of blitzes, all kinds of other stuff that other teams haven't been able to do against Ohio State. So, yeah, I think they have a shot. Um, their problem is their offense is just unbelievably inconsistent, and then you've got a quarterback who is not going to win you a whole lot of games. So, uh, by himself. So um, I think seven points is probably a good line. I think that's accurate for right now. And we're going to talk about that game in depth next week. Yes. Because the Dubcast will be getting ready for the game. Mm-hmm. And that will also be the last stop on, at least during the regular season, on our Buffalo Wild Wings World Tour. Join us on Friday the 26th at the Dublin location on Perimeter Drive. We'll be there. We'll start the show at 7. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the game and 
It's going to be a ball. We're going to try to slip out of our food comas from Thanksgiving. And I, I will save the podcast to put down another dozen or so. Wings. I was about to say, right, exactly. Yeah, I, will, I, will be, I will be prepared. I didn't eat all day today to make sure that I could put down some wings tonight. So that was good planning on my part. And yes. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked Smart. out that way. So join us again Friday uh, at the Dublin Buffalo Wild Wings. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.